I'm going to go ahead and read John chapter 14, uh, John chapter 1, uh, 1 uh, 14 through 18, which is our passage for today. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observed his glory. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, who is himself God, is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Actually, uh, sorry, I forgot one thing. Uh, before, we, before we pray, I did want to mention, uh, I'm going to put that picture up there. Um, this is a good friend of mine, uh, Garrett Kell. He uh, grew up in uh, Berkeley Springs, and he is a uh, pastor in uh, Alexandria uh, right now. Um, I became a Christian because of him. Uh, I was a knucklehead here, here in the community, and he shared the good news of Jesus with me. That's really why, that's part of the reason why this church exists. Um, but uh, on the 22nd, just a couple of days ago, his beautiful uh, 15-year-old daughter there uh, started to have seizures, and she uh, had seizures for uh, over 20 hours. So she's in uh, the hospital down in Richmond, Virginia. So they're there on Christmas Eve as a family with their daughter. So I told them, we're going to pray for them right now. And uh, we're also going to bless them financially uh, this Christmas to help out uh, with whatever they need the money for because um, obviously they're going to have a lot of expenses uh, just staying in the city that, where they don't live. So let's go ahead and pray for them. Father, uh, we do pray for Eden this morning. Lord, we pray that she would uh, recover. Pray that the doctors would be able to figure out uh, why she's having these seizures. I pray that her side effects from all the medications and everything would be uh, minimal. Lord, I pray that she would uh, be able to wake up this Christmas Eve and uh, talk to her family and be with her family, Lord. But um, we know that no matter what, um, we can have hope this Christmas because uh, your hope has come into this world in the baby Jesus, him being born. And uh, he is our only hope in life and death. And we thank you that we have a word of hope here today that we are not in the darkness. We are not um, as those who grieve and, and mourn in the world without any hope, without any direction, Lord. And we thank you that we have a word from you and it's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. All right. So uh, we are currently working our way through the book of John in the Bible. Um, John, uh, so we titled the series Good Life. Uh, that's what John uh, is all about, uh, the life that, that God uh, came to give us in his son, the Lord Jesus. John uh, was an apostle. He was one of the guys that Jesus like hand-selected uh, to follow Jesus. And John wrote this book down so that we would know about Jesus. So he camped out with Jesus, he walked with Jesus, he ate Jesus, with Jesus, he, he heard his teachings, and uh, he wrote this biography uh, so that we would know the life that there is in Jesus. And uh, this morning we come to this absolutely amazing passage of scriptures, probably some of the most amazing words that have ever been written down. The word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. And it's uh, kind of John's way of talking about the birth of Jesus and him um, coming into the world. I want to start us off with a question this morning. 
Um, how important would you say the birth of Jesus is? I'll give you 10 seconds to think about it. Um, out of all the events in human history, you think about the, the big events that happen throughout human history, like where would uh, the birth of Jesus rank uh, in your list? Uh, I found an article with this title, The Ten Most Important Events of Humankind. And so I was reading through the, their list of the ten most important events. Now, they had the domestication of dogs um, before, G, before the life of Christ, right? Now, uh, I have a dog, uh, Lulu the Great Dane. She's amazing, right? She does amazing things all, all the time, but I think that the birth of Jesus might just be a little bit more important than uh, dogs, right? I mean, honestly, uh, you know, we divide all of human history according to the birth of Christ. Let's think about that. Even if we uh, try to change the, the designations B.C., A.D., it, it still, uh, you know, uh, hinges on the life of Christ, right? The, there's nothing more important than the birth of Jesus. And I want to show you that here this morning, that the birth of Jesus has changed everything, just like the video we just watched um, said. So I'm going to mention a couple things. The first is how we think about life. The birth of Jesus changes how we think about life, and uh, we can see that in our, in our passage in John chapter 1, uh, verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. You see that? The Word became flesh. Now, that's kind of strange, isn't it? The Word became in flesh. And we don't have to wonder uh, what it means, because in the context, John tells us, uh, John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18 is his introduction, the prologue to the entire book. And we know that when John is talking about the Word, he's talking about Jesus. Why does he call him the Word, though? Why does John the Apostle call Jesus the Word? Right? And there's, there's, there's a little bit of debate about that, actually. John was written in Greek, so the whole second part of the Bible was written in Greek. That was the dominant language at the time. And the word here for word uh, is the Greek word logos. And... Uh, these guys, uh, the philosophers like uh, Socrates and Plato, uh, before the time of Jesus, they talked a lot about the Logos, right? They talked about the Logos, or the Word, was uh, what held all of life together. It's what made life make sense, made, it all, uh, made life uh, worth living and had uh, meaning. And if you could tap into uh, what the Logos uh, is, then you would have the good life. All right, that's, that's uh, what they thought. Uh, that's what, how they used the word logos. Now, whether John is referring to what the, how the Greeks uh, use that word uh, is, is debatable. Um, but um, what, is, what is true is they ultimately never found it. They never, they never figured out what the logos is. Right? They never were able to tap into um, the word, so to speak. Right? All you got to do is just look at the history of philosophy and just look at our culture today and to realize that they were in the dark. They ultimately could never uh, figure it out with their, their reason or their experience. Uh, for my birthday, uh, my wife got me uh, this book with the title, The Come Up, An Oral History of the Rise of Hip Hop. So I grew up uh, on 90s uh, hip hop, you know, so uh, don't judge me, right? It just is what it is, right? And uh, so wife got me this book, and, and the book tells this little interesting little story about um, the New York City blackout of 1977. Does anybody know about that? 1977 in July was a hot summer. On the 13th and 14th, these three lightning strikes like hit, uh, hit the city, and, uh, and the whole thing went black. 
for uh, like, like, like two days. And, um, and can you imagine that? Can you imagine uh, being in a city with like 12 million people and it's just completely dark at nighttime? Listen, you need light in the city because of the other humans that are there, trust me. <laughs> you, you need to know what they're doing, right? Uh, so as a result of the darkness, there were four deaths, 550 injuries, and then uh, the not-so-good uh, part of humanity came out, and there was a lot of looting, 4,500 arrests, $300 million in damages, 1,600 bu- buildings were looted and destroyed. So my point is, it is not good to be in the darkness. And John, the apostle, is saying to us that we need a word from God or all of us are in the dark. That's what John is saying here. I think this is most likely what he means when he calls uh, Jesus Christ the Word. Because here's the deal. If God does not speak to us, we are in the dark when it comes to light. I mean, just think about it. If, 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 If all we have is ourselves to figure it out, well, just look around. We're lost. And if God doesn't speak to us about the world, the universe, our lives, then we're just making it up. Right? We're just fiddling around uh, with life. And this is why the birth of Jesus is such good news. It means that we don't have to be in the dark anymore about life because God has spoken. That's what the birth of Jesus means. Look, look at this in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. So God has been speaking for a long time. But look at this. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Right? See, God has been speaking, right? But he's, his, his speech is very focused uh, in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And every word from God, all the words of the prophets long ago, they are all pointing to Jesus. They are all directing us to God's word of clarity uh, in his son, the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So every word that God has ever spoken has been about his son, the Lord Jesus. And uh, John actually gives us two examples of that uh, in this passage. He, first is John the Baptist. Look at this in verse 15. John testified concerning him and explained, John the Baptist did, concerning Jesus and exclaimed, this is the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. You see, John the Baptist came to prepare the way uh, for Jesus for Israel. He was out in the wilderness baptizing people and, you know, uh, and preaching the good news. He, John the Baptist said that his ministry was the fulfillment of God's promises about Jesus. So John was directing everybody to Jesus, and he was a mountain man. John was a, he was a for real mountain man. I've been watching the show uh, Yukon Men. It's a little bit older, but uh, man, these guys are out there, man. They, I saw uh, yesterday, they, they, had, uh, they were eating like moose head and everything, and they were, uh, those guys are some real mountain men. John was like that. He was out in the wilderness. He had this, uh, this, this clothing of camel's hair, and he was eating locusts and wild honey, and he was uh, preaching God's word uh, and s- telling everyone that God's promises were coming true and that all of God's promises were ultimately about uh, Jesus, and he was directing everyone uh, to him. The second uh, example we have in our passages is Moses, verse 16 and 17. Uh, Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness, from the fullness of Jesus, for the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus uh, Christ. Now, some people uh, misunderstand this passage uh, right here because they tried to pit Moses over against Jesus. 
Moses, that's bad. He was mean, and he gave all these commandments and stuff. And then Jesus, he's all full of love and grace, right? And uh, that is wrong uh, because Moses was all about Jesus. Jesus says so himself. But Moses did give us the law, right? It says it right there. The law was given through Moses. And uh, the su summary of the law was given in the Ten Commandments. That's what it's talking about when it says law. Those commandments were meant to show us that we all don't measure up to God's standard of, of, of life and of holiness, that we all fall short, and that we need a Savior. That's the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to show us the sinful nature of our hearts and thus our need of a Savior. Right? Moses gave us the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. Right? And that, that the Pentateuch is a story where the law is found in this story, and the whole thing is about this promise of the birth of this child who would save us from our sin. Does that sound like Jesus to you? That's literally the third page of the Bible. God promises Eve, one of your descendants is going to crush the head of this serpent. Jesus himself said that the whole Bible was about himself. Can you imagine if I stood up here, if someone stood up and said, yeah, that whole book's about me? That's pretty bold, isn't it? Luke 24, verse 44. He, Jesus, told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, a.k.a. the whole first part of the Bible, must be fulfilled. In other words, all of God's word is about Jesus. So I want to be crystal clear. There is no excuse to be in the dark about life anymore because we have a word from God right? we have a word from God in, in Jesus and unless we have unless the word becomes flesh we are lost we, we are in the dark about uh, life um, this past week me and my family we got together and we read uh, Luke chapter 1 about uh, the John the Baptist the birth of John the Baptist and the promise to Mary and we read uh, we read that and we sang the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We put it on the Bluetooth speaker. And here, here's a line from that song. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadow put to flight. Right? See, this is where we are without uh, the birth of Jesus. Gloom and darkness. Right? This, this world is filled with all kinds of difficult things, is it not? Right? All kinds of suffering and evil, and death. I mean, I just shared a horrible story. I mean, can you imagine that being your Christmas Eve? You're in the hospital, you don't know if your little girl is going to live or die, right? It's, the world's full of these type of things. But here's the good news, that, that God has broken through the darkness and sent the shadows fleeing. We don't have to be in dark about life, but here's the good news of John, that we can have the good life. We can have life as it was always meant to be lived because of Jesus. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came and lived and died and rose from the dead so that we could have um, this life. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you, is your life on solid ground? Uh, when you think about your life, is your life stable? You know, do you have, I mean, if it, let's, th let's think you, you had some news like that happen to you this, uh, over Christmas. You know, some horrible news. Like about my like my buddy uh, Garrett, how would you handle that? Is your is your life on solid ground uh, where it is uh, here this morning? 
Uh, I work in uh, substance abuse as a case manager, and, um, you know, I see a lot of difficult things every week. A client of mine uh, this past week uh, told me, he said, uh, I think about killing myself every week. See, a lot of people uh, are on shaky ground, you know, in, in life. What about you? Is your life on that type of ground? Do you have uh, any type of solid footing uh, to stand on? But here's the good news. All right, the good news is not just to pull the, pull the ground out from under, or the rug out from underneath you this morning. The good news is to tell you that there is solid ground to stand upon, that you can be sure about life, what it's all about, the purpose of your life, and, uh, and um, many other things. Look at John uh, chapter 1, verse 14 again. The Word became flesh, and look at this, and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word uh, dwelt there uh, is a reference to the tabernacle uh, that Israel used to uh, meet God at and worship him at when uh, they were down uh, in Israel, they were down in Egypt, enslaved under Pharaoh. God sent Moses to rescue them, and they went out into the wilderness, and they were camping out in the wilderness, and he had them construct this tent. It's called the tabernacle. This is literally saying here, the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. In other words, Jesus is the place. He is the tent that we go to to worship God, to meet with God, to see God. Every, uh, every Christmas, uh, me and my girls get to do a little dad-daughter uh, date. Uh, so we were gifted a uh, gift card for uh, Alamo uh, the movie theater down in Winchester. We went down there and uh, watched the movie uh, on Friday. Listen, Jesus is God's theater. He is where you go to, to see God. You see God projected in him and through him. Jesus is where we go to meet with God. See, it is in Jesus where God shows us who he is and how amazing he is, because he reveals God's glory. Um, the book of John is structured around seven signs that Jesus did. Seven signs and seven I am statements that Jesus, Jesus gave. You, you never guess what the first uh, sign, signs are miracles, right? They're pointing to who Jesus is and what he's going to do in the world. You never guess what the first miracle Jesus did was. He was at a wedding, right, uh, some friends of his, and the wedding was about ready to go uh, south. Uh, they didn't have enough preparations for the uh, reception. Uh, they were going to run out of wine. And in that culture, in that day and age, that would have been a disaster. It would have been all over social media and, and everything. It would have been uh, awful. So uh, what does Jesus do? He uh, turns 30 gallons uh, of water into over 100 gallons uh, of wine. That was the first miracle uh, that Jesus ever did. Uh, we were watching the, the movie A Christmas Story this past week. Is anybody a fan of that movie? My people right there? Okay, I got you. All right, the rest of you, whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, uh, that movie is that so well done, but, uh, you know, something always jumps out at me in, in that movie, something different. And, and this year, was, you know, they were, they were opening up the Christmas presents, you know, and, and the mom and dad are sitting there with a glass of wine, and uh, the dad says, you know what? This wine's not that bad. He said but it also ain't good either, right? I thought that was funny, but whatever. A tough crowd in here this morning, right? Jesus did not make that type of wine. 
right? He made the type of wine you got to go down into the, the cellar, you know what I mean, where they have rows and rows of it, the, the vintage stuff. That's what he did, right? And he didn't just do that just to make wine so people could have a glass of wine, right? Look at, look at what John says about this in, in, in John chapter 2, because you know what? Everyone saw this. Everyone at the wedding and all his disciples and the whole community saw what he did. It says, Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. We could spend, we could spend the rest of the day talking about what that miracle means, and we'll get to it eventually in the book of John, but Throughout the scriptures, wine is, a, is symbolic of God's grace and our joy of tasting that grace. That's what wine is in the scriptures. It's a symbol of the fact that God doesn't give us just water. God gives us things that we don't need. Right? He goes above and beyond. We don't deserve Jesus. We, we don't deserve his death on the cross and his life for us. But God gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us his son. Right? And when we taste and see that he is good, right, it burns our soul. We feel it deep down, right? We feel that taste that joy. Right? And if if you are able to hear God's word in Jesus this morning, right, then you're gonna know what life is all about. If you're able to hear God speaking to you through the scriptures and in, uh, in his son, the Lord Jesus, then you're gonna know what life is all about. See, that's how significant the birth of Jesus is changes how we think about life, but also changes how we think about God. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, who is himself God, is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. I think we can all agree with John here, right? No one has ever seen God. I mean, when you leave here and you go down to sheets and you, or whatever, and you pump your gas, you're not going to look over and see God pumping gas. Right? You're not going to walk around uh, this Christmas and, and see God face to face. We have ideas about God. We have thoughts about what, might, uh, what he might be like or what spirituality is or what might be out there in the universe or what is ultimate, right? But let me ask you a question this morning. What is God like? What kind of person is God? What kind of being is he? What is really out there? Look at, look, at what, uh, look at what this says again. That Jesus, he has revealed him. Uh, like I said, uh, John was written in Greek, and the Greek word here is the word where we, get, where we get the word exegesis from. Exegesis is a word used in biblical interpretation. You guys mind if we nerd out here for a second? Okay, we'll go for it. All right. Uh, it's, a, it's a word used in biblical interpretation. The word literally means to draw out. So it is taking a text, especially the text of Scripture, and drawing out the meaning that is there. And that's what we're doing here this morning as we work through this passage. We're, doing, we're, we're, we're talking about the exegesis, what's really in the passage. Right? It's like mining. What do miners do? They go down into the earth, and they dig out the resources and the riches there uh, so that they can be they can be used. So this is what Jesus does for God. Jesus minds God. Jesus minds God the Father. Jesus Christ is God in our midst when he came. And the word became flesh and dwelt in our midst. We are seeing the depths of God. Jesus explains who God is. That's what it means when he's, he's the word. Jesus draws out the character and person of God to us. 
Look at how Colossians chapter 1 puts this. He is the image of the invisible God. We can't see God, can we? Right? Because God is spirit. He is invisible. But, but God became flesh and dwelt in our midst so that we could see him, so we could know what he's like. This is how significant the birth of Jesus is, so we could know uh, who God is. If you want to know what God is like, then just look no further to Jesus. That's all you got to do. You want to know what God is like, what his heart is, what he thinks, how he acts what he thinks about you, what he wants you to do. Look no further to Jesus. But some people are looking further than Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Even some people look away from him. Some people blind their eyes to him. They look uh, further than Jesus. And really, they got the wrong sources. It's like uh, going to the gas station and grabbing the wrong hose, right? And putting that diesel in your tank. I hope you've never done that uh, before. But uh, that is the wrong source. It is not going to uh, help your car uh, at all. Right? And look into any other, uh, other place. Look in any other direction to understand life or God uh, other than Jesus is going to have you messed up. It's going to have your engine uh, running wrong. A lot of people are looking within and listening to what our culture says to think about life and to think about God. A lot of people are just living their truth. And really what that means is you're God and you can create uh, the world that you want. Right? You, uh, our culture tells us to follow our hearts, which is the last thing we ought to do. Right? That is looking, looking within. And uh, these folks think that God is there just to affirm them. God is there to put the rubber stamp uh, on our lives just, to, just as it is. But that's not how Jesus acted. That's not what he did. All you got to do is just read through the uh, Gospel of John, and you, you get to chapter 4, and Jesus meets this woman at a well. It's a very famous uh, story. Jesus goes up, has a very um, kind conversation with her because he, he loves her, and he lets her know that he knows that she's breaking God's commandment to not commit adultery. Right? He lets her know that he already knows that she had five husbands pre- previously, and that one uh, guy that she's with right now is not her husband. So, Jesus does not, ju- does not affirm our lives as they are. He affirms the Bible. He affirms everything that God said in the Scriptures uh, throughout. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the law, all those books. Right? He puts his rubber stamp of approval on it, uh, which means that all that the Bible says about what it means to be a human being, all the Bible says about human sexuality, Jesus says yes and amen, right? Because he is our creator. He is the one who made us. He's the one who gifted us what it means to be a human being. He made you. He knows you. He knows how you, how you work. And that includes the gift of sexuality. Other people, they look to religion to figure out what God is like. And religion simply says this, if you love God, then he'll love you back. It's, it's transactional, right? Religion puts conditions on God's love. It says, okay, if you're good enough, then God will love you, right? If you love him a whole bunch, then he will love you. So in order to know if you really love God and if you're good enough, what religion does is it creates a bunch of dumb rules, right? It creates all these silly rules, and you've got to try to keep this list of rules, um, like stuff like no instruments in church, um, no turning water into wine, 
So Jesus knocked that off. Um, no fun at Christmas, no celebrating Christmas or anything like that, because obviously that's all in the Bible, right? And then a thousand other little rules, right? And, and religion heaps burdens on people because we can never measure up. We can, we can ne- this, is, this is how people uh, feel that uh, I talk to that come out of uh, religious environments. They feel burdened, crushed, weighed down, that they can, they can never measure up. You know? Or they're either arrogant, self-righteous, and prideful because obviously they do. And they've kept the list uh, their whole uh, life. And don't forget, religious people were the ones that conspired to murder Jesus. Other people think that Jesus was weak and that he was a punk. And if that's you here this morning, you think that Jesus was, a, was weak and, uh, I, I don't know, uh, you could beat him up or something, uh, I just challenge you to read the book of John. Just read through it. It'll take you five minutes to read one chapter. Read through it. And here's what you're going to see. You're going to see grown men bowing down at the feet of Jesus and worshiping him. Would you do that for any guy? Would you bow down at somebody's feet to worship them as God? I know of only one person, and and that's Jesus. Uh, People say things like, uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It just means a kid acts like his or her parents. Jesus acts exactly like God, right? Listen to this. God looks like Jesus. You want to know what God looks like? How he thinks? What, is, what, what, is he, what does he think about you? What has he done for you? Look no further than to Jesus. Where, where can we see this the clearest? Where can we see God's heart for you? What does he look like the clearest? It is at the cross of Christ in the resurrection of Jesus. What Jesus look what Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 4. I'm about out your way. I have glorified you on earth. He's praying to God. I've glorified you on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Here's Jesus praying before he's, he's going to the cross saying, God, I've made you look good by doing what you told me to do, by, by completing the work that you gave me to do. And the work the Father gave Jesus to do was to come and to live and to die for sinners like me and like you. And this is what God has done. God, out of his great love and grace, freely gave his son so that anyone who believes in him, anyone who tastes of him, anyone who tastes of the wine of Jesus, that he's good will receive eternal life. Eternal life now. We're not just talking about like heaven in the future. We're talking, Jesus died and rose to make everything new again. He died and rose so that you could be forgiven, yes, but to make you the man or the woman that you were created to be, to give you life as it was meant to be uh, lived. God's glory shines the brightest at the cross and in the fact that Jesus overcame sin. See, at the cross, Jesus Christ paid the price for all of our failures, Right? For all of our foolishness, for all of our false worship and trying to be God and, and, and to live our lives for ourselves, he overcame all that, not just so that we could be forgiven, but have the power uh, to change. Jesus overcame death in his resurrection. It's been beautiful to read um, the post my buddy Garrett has been uh, putting about um, his daughter uh, being in, in the hospital, not knowing whether she's going to make it. And let me just tell you, there's a difference when you know Jesus. There's a difference. There's hope. There's stability. That, 
My buddy Garrett knows that Jesus Christ has ultimately overcame death, right? He's won the victory over, over it all, right? And that changes everything. Look at, look at um, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, I'm going to read this from the message translation. Look at how beautiful this is. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we are of no use whatever to him. See, this is why the birth of Jesus uh, changes everything. We would be completely lost and utterly in the dark in life if the Word did not become flesh. If Jesus didn't come uh, into the world, He came to give us life. He came to give us the good life because Jesus is the Creator. He created it all, and He came into the world. He created to save the people that trashed His world, to save enemies and, and rebels. Right, and if you believe in him, if you taste and see that he's good, here's the good news. You are not in the dark anymore. How amazing is that? How amazing is that God would love you and save you and call you out of the darkness and into the light? And here's what he calls you to do. Don't go back to that darkness. Don't go back to that darkness. Walk in the light. Continue to, to follow his light and to follow after him and to, and to, and to look to him. I want to ask you, ask you to think about this. Does God look like Jesus to you? Does God look like Jesus to you? If so, then what do you see? Here's what we ought to see. We ought to see the fact that God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death. What a gift of grace. God put his love on the line for sinners by coming into the world. I love how that video says he became small. He became small to save, save people like us. How beautiful is that? And our pastor says that from his fullness, from the fullness of Jesus, we've all seen grace upon grace. Listen, God's grace does not run out in Jesus. Some of you here, and you're probably thinking, it's ran out for me. Uh, I've, I've tried to pull that, that spigot, and there's, there's no grace coming out. That's not true. Jesus' grace is a boundless ocean, right? There's, there's grace for you here this morning. There's forgiveness for you here. There's mercy for you here this morning. There's welcome. Jesus is able to adopt you into uh, God's family here this morning. His grace creates the entire universe. Jesus' grace forgives every sin. Jesus' grace welcomes every person, least, last, lost. Jesus' grace overcomes death. His grace comes again to make this world new again. Because that's the hope of Christmas, that he's coming back again. He's taking every sad thing out of it. There won't be any more daughters that have seizures and break your heart on Christmas. Now, what an amazing hope that we have in Christ. And that's the reason there's nothing more important than the birth of Jesus. And that's what we want to celebrate here this morning.